John chapter 16, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 5 and read down to verse 15. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5 and reading down to verse 15. This is Jesus speaking here. And I won't get into all of the context because it would take us too long, but we're going to look at these immediate verses for your consideration this morning. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. And that will conclude our reading this morning. That's reading uh, John chapter 16, verse 5 through 15. The title of our message this morning is God with us. God with us. Now, generally when we think of God with us, I suppose I always think of Christmas, the promise of the angel that a, or rather in the Old Testament, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 7, where said Emmanuel will be born, and Emmanuel means God with us, of course, indicating the birth of Jesus Christ. But this morning, as we look at this scripture text, we find that Jesus was about to be crucified. He was going to rise again, and then some 40 days later, he was going to ascend into heaven. And he says, after I do this, I'm going to send someone to you. And it called him the Comforter. Most of you know, I'm sure, that what he is referring to is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And this morning, I want to Impress upon your mind the reality that the Holy Spirit being with us is as much God with us as Jesus in the flesh. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within believers and that he makes himself manifest through us. Now, as I began to read that text today, as is very common as I'm studying the scriptures, I begin to think of the here and now. I take what has happened there, I read those things, and I begin to pause and contemplate the here and now. And one of the things that 
arose in my heart, as oftentimes does, are the difficulties that we are facing today. It doesn't take anyone with very much vision to recognize that Satan has sown discord and difficulty in our nation, that we have a degenerating culture among us, that we have political divisiveness that is getting to a place that is extremely dangerous, that God's people almost everywhere have grown cold, apathetic, indifferent, distracted, aloof. That a younger generation is coming on that does not have the same religious interest as what former generations have. That they're putting their hearts and their minds towards other things that the repetition of being exposed to things in the world has to some degree hardened their hearts perhaps more than in generations gone by. We can look in our own four walls of this church. As we met this week at the minister school, one of the common themes in private discussion that came up was how there are so many lost young people in our churches And yet when the preaching of the gospel is happening, when God's spirit seems to be manifesting himself among us, there seems to be a lack of genuine conviction amongst God's people. Of everything that troubles me today, that's perhaps the most troubling. Is that it seems as though we see the error, we see the need, and yet there is not a profound conviction that manifests itself among us. And that's troubling. Now, oftentimes what we could do is what Satan wants us to do, and that is stop there. See, one of the One of the tactics, the Bible teaches us that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of Satan's devices is to enumerate the problem and try to camouflage or diminish the solution. And so it's very easy to sit in private conversation and talk about all the things that are wrong with the world. It's easy to look at other people and talk about all the things that are wrong with other people. All the things that our church could do differently. All of those things are natural to our flesh and we will be aided by Satan and his demonic forces in trying to enumerate those problems and it suggests to our minds when we begin to focus on the problem that at heart there truly is no solution. Now if Satan does not get us focused on the problem, what he will do is he will get us to focus on perceived solutions. And suddenly, what we'll find is that we need a new political party in the White House, and that will solve our country's problems. And yet, if you haven't noticed, regardless of what political party is in the White House, it seems as though our steep decline just becomes more rapid. We look at the church, change the pastor. We need more people. We need different activities at church. We need to do more things. 
And those become our focus. And what oftentimes has happened is that churches have fell for that trap. They recognize that there is no inherent value in dwelling on the problems. So they begin to get to step B or step two and look for the solutions. But then they begin to grasp for all the carnal solutions in the world. And listen to me this morning, that, diff, that causes us to differ none from all the organizations that are meeting this morning in the name of God, but have become deceived and are now uh, performing in front of people rather than pointing people to Christ. We're not here to entertain people. We're not here to make people comfortable, make people happy, to tickle their ears that we might walk outside and just simply say, it was just, it made me feel so good to be there today. I want God with us. Folks, that's what we need. We need God with us. A song we sang this weekend at one point in our services, all the men and the women come together and we sing and we pray together before the ladies are dismissed on that last day. And one of the songs that we sang was, Little as Much When God is in It. And that is so true. We serve a great God. There is not a part of my being that doesn't believe that if God be with us, no one can stand against us. That doesn't mean people won't try. And it doesn't mean that we perhaps won't suffer some and be pained some. But when we say that we need God with us, we're not saying that we need the flesh and blood Jesus Christ walking through the back door. And at times it seems as though that's what people are looking for. But listen, our Messiah has already come. And he's already ascended. And in this scripture text, he teaches us something of, of immense value to us. You see, because he told the disciples here, he said, I'm going to go away. My departure is very soon at hand. And then him, knowing their heart, says, I know sorrow has filled your hearts because what I have told you. Well, of course it's filled their hearts. Imagine the journey they have been on these past two years. It was approximately two years at this point that Jesus had called those disciples to follow him. So the first year to year and a half of his ministry as he's traveling around, no doubt all of them were traveling with him, but they had not yet been set aside and called to be special messengers or apostles of his. But these last two years, Jesus brought 12 men very close to him and they were able to uh, uh, stay with him and eat with him. They traveled everywhere that he went. And so they saw, and at the end of the book of John, it tells us that on all the libraries of the book or the books could not contain all that Jesus said and did in that little short time that he was here. And these men were eyewitnesses, as Peter says in his script, in first Peter, or excuse me, second Peter chapter one, they were eyewitnesses to his majesty. They saw with their own eyes a man's body being full of leprosy and watching his skin turn pure. Imagine what it would be to wake up every single morning and knowing you were with Jesus. I don't think I would struggle to get up in the morning because yesterday he fed 5,000 people with two loaves and, or two fishes and five loaves. What's he gonna do today? 
Oh, wait, last night he walked on the water. Right? Going into cities and seeing all the peoples clamoring for him. Certainly, as Jesus is telling them, I'm going away, would it not be natural for them to say, no, don't go? Absolutely, it would be. But then Jesus teaches us this this excellent truth. He says, I'm going to go away. But before that, he says, it is expedient for you that I go away. That word expedient is not a word that's used much anymore. It means advantageous. Or in other words, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. Wow, what? (laughs) What? It's to your advantage? It's to our advantage that you're leaving? How could things get better than this? Things are as good as what they have ever been, and yet they can get better? And he says, yes, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send someone to you. The Holy Spirit. There are a few things about the age of the Holy Spirit that are far superior to that of the age of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that was the case. You see, one of the wonderful things about the person of Jesus is that as the book of Hebrew tells us, he is our high priest. That he came and he took upon himself the form of flesh. And by doing that, he understands everything about you because he himself experienced that. He was confined to the feelings that he has, the impulses that are natural to the flesh, the desires, the hungering, the thirsting. In the book of Luke chapter 2, it tells us when he was just a young boy that he had to grow in stature and in wisdom. There is this idea that when Jesus was a baby, he just knew everything. That's not what the book of Luke says. He had to learn and to grow and to mature, just like you and I. And he was confined to one bodily place. And so he would come into location after location and place after place. And God was with the world, but he was with them in a particular locality. And the primary manifestation of God during that time was through the person of Jesus Christ. But if you were a long way away, you did not have the same benefits as there would be if you were standing right next to Jesus or being with him, listening to him. And what does the Bible tell us about the Holy Spirit? That he's all places at all times. We have the benefit today that we do not have to be next to the flesh and blood person of Jesus Christ. But when we leave this place and we go anywhere, we very often tell lost people, listen, you can seek the Lord here. And this is a good place to seek the Lord. And I believe it's an important place that if God begins to work in your heart and convict you of his Holy Spirit, that you would seek him in this place. Because there are, in my opinion, advantages to be in the house of God and the encouragement of God's prayer or God's people's prayers and God's people. And yet, it is equally true that if you go as far away as you possibly can, God is there. No people who have been saved in a submarine. My grandmother was saved in an outhouse. 
My sister was saved in her bedroom. I've seen people saved under a crib at a church back in a nursery room. God is everywhere. I've been under a gazebo and perhaps felt the presence of God more mightily under that gazebo than I did anywhere else in the world. God's Holy Spirit, as we find in the book of Acts, when he, the inauguration of that great era, when the Holy Spirit came in great power, perhaps no greater revival has ever taken place in the history of the world. I'll say no greater revival ever has than what took place there in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 when they were fully immersed. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, a full immersion of the Holy Spirit, that God's presence was known. Why is this important? Well, we look back in the Old Testament and we see the glory of God manifest. When we see God's presence there, what we find is people are so overcome by the presence of God in the Old Testament, they are always compelled to either bow in fear and humility or exit it in fear because they're so overwhelmed by the greatness of God's presence. We find... In the book of Chronicles, when Solomon dedicated that temple, that the glory of the Lord came in, in so much that the priests had to leave the temple because his presence was so overwhelming. Do you realize, friends, that that is meant to be a foreshadowing of what was to come in his church? God's spirit, God wants to be with us. I have been thinking for the last number of weeks about our revival just a few weeks out. And friends, it is concerning to me that we have so many lost young people at our church. And we've called a revival helper, Brother Justin Ferris, to come, and he's a good preacher. And he even told me this week, you know, I was sitting listening this week, and there are a couple sermons that the Lord gave me this week as I was listening. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. I'm thankful that the Lord spoke to him. And he'll come and he'll do his best to preach and we'll meet in the morning for the school and we'll try to preach to the school kids and we'll come in the evening to the adults and and everyone else that'll come and we'll try our best to proclaim the gospel. And many of you here will try and ask the Lord, Lord, open my heart, make me willing to do whatever it is in service that you want me to do. But listen, friends, this is the time that we must begin to give an invitation to God himself to visit with us. We want God here because God through his Holy Spirit has the capacity to do things that you and I cannot do. And listen, there is no substitute for God. People very often, what has modern religion done? They have found imitations. They have found substitutes for the presence of God. They come and they get one of the substitutes is they get really nice bands and singers and they're professional singers and they pay them to come and to, and to practice and they get up there and they're able to very effectively stir up people's emotions. And I'm not going to lie and say that sometimes you can listen to that and you can feel extremely moved to tears and it can feel good. And cathartic to be in a service like that and listen to great singing. But listen, great professional singing is no substitute for the organic movement of God's Spirit among us. We can hire 
an evangelist to come. And there are many who go out and they hold crusades. And they have an organization. And they have it just organized so perfectly and accommodating to the flesh that by a series of different activities in that crusade, they'll coerce and compel people to respond in a certain way. We don't want that. And yet what is equally true is that we don't want the artificial movement of the Spirit in the same degree we don't want to be apathetic towards the movement of the Spirit. Somebody said the other day at the minister's school about it should bother us when we go a few services and we've not felt the presence of the Lord's Spirit. And it should. It shouldn't be okay with us that we can come in week in and week out We hear stories of long ago in this very building where God's spirit moved in a wonderful way. I've heard many stories of the various people, numbers of people getting saved all in one night. That wasn't due because you had a certain evangelist or pastor come. That wasn't due because we had more people here or because some of you were younger and had more strength. None of that's the reason why. The reason is because God of his own prerogative decided to come and to visit us and yet What we also learn in the scripture is that God, even later in this text, that whenever we inquire of him and we ask of him to come visit us, God is very eager and willing to do so. We have people seek the Lord at our church. I've been to services over the last number of months where people are seeking the Lord. But I can remember whenever God convicted me of my sins, I was sitting on that third pew of Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, and when the Lord really got a hold of me from time to time, when we were having revival services, when we were in regular Sunday morning services, and God's Spirit came, there were multiple occasions where I found myself running to the front altar because I desired to come and to find God. I felt His Spirit convicting me in such a way. My mom testifies that when she was lost the night that she got saved she was sitting in the very back of Bratton Town Church and she was afraid of a young man who was cute and that he might judge her for coming forward and praying and yet the spirit of God convicted her to such a degree that she began to sprint towards the altar and halfway up the aisle that's where God saved her because the actions of her body were indicative of the condition and the longing of her heart and that was to find God above all else I've been in services before as a minister of the gospel, sitting back in the pew, listening to the preaching of the gospel. And as as that man was expressing the truth of God's word, even though I'm saved, I became afraid of the realities that he was expressing because the spirit of God was there in such power. Folks, we need that. You can't make that stuff up. You can't just dig deeper in the Bible and find new gem of a truth and reveal it to the people. And that'll somehow change people's hearts or break people's hearts. You that are saved, you that are older, who have experienced that. One of the great fears that I have for my generation and those coming after me is the things that I'm preaching this morning are very foreign to them experience-wise. There's a good chance that if you are 25 or 30 or 35 years old or under, you may have never seen what I'm describing this morning. 
Your children may have never seen a movement of God so powerful that you could not think of anything else but what was going on right there and right above you in heaven. Have you ever had experiences where you knew God? Have you ever been praying where you were praying with such vigor and you felt the presence of God so powerfully that you were afraid if you opened your eyes, you would see him and die? I felt that way a time or two. Have you ever lost your dignity? We all have a certain comportment about the way we behave ourselves, the way that we talk, the way that we testify, the way that we sing. Have you ever lost all that? And you didn't plan it? You know, you can go to some denominations of churches today and it just seems very orchestrated, you know? They'll get real emotional and people will shout and dance and run up and sing. And yet, there's something about it that's just unsettling. Because the Bible teaches us in the book of 1 John to try the spirits to see whether they're of God. And since I know the Holy Spirit, I recognize that's not how the Holy Spirit acts and compels others to act. We don't want that. We want a genuine working of the Spirit. People come in into the church. It can be a temptation of the church to try to impress them. But listen, I don't want visitors to stay because we're nice. I don't want visitors to stay because they like our personalities, because the way that I might organize my sermon is something they find okay. I don't want them here for that reason. Because if they come to us for that reason, they'll they'll leave for that reason. Because they'll find somebody better than us. You know, there was a church, I don't don't remember the name of it. You all may know it's somewhere here near Bowling Green. I've had three people since I got here in a week and a half that have said, you need to go to that church. Somebody had a service on Wednesday night. Brother Jason Stotler went to that church. And he said, brother, I've been preaching for 15 years and I've not felt the Spirit of God in a service like that. That's the third person in a week and a half, has told me. So guess what I plan to do? I'm going to go to that church. Because I want that. Anywhere that God's presence is, I want to be there. This right here, we have been fitly framed together as God's temple for the purpose of being a dwelling place that God can inhabit. And what will make us distinctive in the minds of visitors is nothing about us, but is God in us. That's what we want. That's what those long ago, when you revel in days gone by and you look at services when you were a kid, I hope you have the wisdom to discern. It was not the people, it was the Spirit of God in the people that you long for. And what we're lacking today is that very same thing. And yet, what we're struggling with is not, I feel like, often imitating those things. It's just being okay without those things. And I'm just not. I'm just not okay without those things. 
without those things of seeing God's presence move. When was the last time that you got a hold of God in prayer, pleading with him to visit you in any capacity that he would? I've said it when helping you in revival before. We have our minds set about what revival should look like. You know, we see a lot of lost young people in our church today. And so in my mind, when I project out in April what, 24th or something around that time frame, I think of a good revival being God really gets in the hearts of those people. He stirs them. They seek the Lord. And we see a number of those young people saved. And if God does that, hallelujah, praise be to God. Nothing can undo what God does in saving that soul. And yet, if God decides not to visit us in that, in that way, but he stirs hearts where the dust has settled for decades and you have become distracted in the very many things that your interests and hobbies and workplace and yet God comes and he grabs a hold of you and he squeezes you and he changes your heart and he convicts you in the deepest possible way that you have ever been convicted and he helps to create a resolve in your heart that you're going to change now forever. That's revival. And I'll take it, won't you? Listen, we're inching closer to eternity every single day. You know what touched me so much? And I'm going to bring it up again because it just moves me. Sister Grace Keene, who went on to be with the Lord at 19 years old here just a few days ago. Her father made the comment that she ran her race and she ran it well. And her mother and I could not have been more well pleased. Do you know why? Somebody else I saw spoke about that analogy. And they said this, the value of a race is not determined in the length of it, but in the way that you run it. That's the value of the race. Listen, if you know God and you have not felt a movement of his spirit in a way that affects lasting change. You know, one of the evidences that it's truly God's spirit and not just your desire to turn over another leaf is that the changes often last. Not always. We're sinful creatures and we walk away from God, but we can't when God really changes us. It takes a lot more effort to walk away than it does when we've just had a change of our minds. You see, this morning, the scripture told us something very important about the spirit of God. One, it's to our advantage that Jesus is not here, that the comforter is here. And then it tells us why. Because when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Listen this morning, I have often lamented and often overpreached, overcharged people. Because I so desperately wanted people to change. Wanted to force conviction on the lost heart. But you can't do that. You can't. 
I can get up here and I can hoot and holler and I can run the aisles and I can come to you if you're lost and I can shake your hand and I can come to you if you're saved and I can try to reprove you or correct you or come to you with another brother as the Bible instructs us to do and encourage you to walk away from your sinful lifestyle and I can preach till my heart has nothing left in it and I can read every verse in the Bible and every person here can exercise their spiritual gift to the nth degree and yet the scripture tells Tells us this, it is the Spirit of God alone that convicts. He alone can do it. So here's what we have fallen into. We, instead of going and changing our lifestyles and really seeking the presence of God to be among us, we, like most things in our culture or most things in our nation, we find a cheat to it, right? Isn't the microwave a cheat? Certainly it is. Fast food, that's a cheat. We have all of these shortcuts that we can pay somebody to do something for us. We can invent something to make things easier. But you know what? You can never cheat a relationship. You can't ever cheat that. Phone doesn't substitute for cultivating a relationship with a person. And cultivating our relationship with God cannot be done any other way but by dwelling in His presence. That's it. And listen, that takes time. We find of the men of old. Daniel sat for how long? 21 days seeking God and fasting, desiring His presence. Studying the scriptures. You can go use Google to study your scriptures. And you can go get every commentary and every book. But listen, to truly come to the understanding as we heard this week, you got to sit with the presence of God and his word. And you got to look to heaven with your heart and pray, God, you know, very often I heard about a preacher one time who was in a debate the other person was up speaking, making some good points that he was struggling to counteract. And so he sat there and he wrote over and over and over. My dad said he could see from a distance he was writing the same thing over and over and over again. And finally when he got up and he saw the paper, what was written on it was, More light, Lord, more light. Over and over and over. You see... To come to a better understanding of the scripture, sometimes what we don't need is everybody else's opinion. We just need the presence of God revealing it to us. The Spirit of God can do something we can't. But here's what we can do. God inhabits the praise of his people. God commands us to ask and it shall be given to seek and we shall find to knock, and the doors will be open to us. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. Often pointed out, that's not talking to lost people. That's talking to a church. See, what Satan will convince us is that it's flipped, that God is up in heaven and he's saying, well, I don't really want to come down there. Don't bother me. I've got too many things I'm concerned with. Or You better gravel in just the right way. You better beg in just the right way. And then I'll come and visit you. 
But that scripture says, no, he's standing and he's knocking. When does he do that? Well, sometimes he does it when we're gathered together. But you know what? Sometimes he does it when you get to the end of a long, hard day and you're tired. And it crosses your mind for just a fleeting moment. All the concerns that you have in life and the need that you have for God to help you. And you look, you ever do that? You ever look down at your phone and that whole world of responsibility is just glowing at you? And yet you feel this faint drawing towards the spiritual things of God. I feel that very often. And it is indescribably easier to pick up that phone and put your mind on cruise control and forget about everything. And sometimes you get down and you pray and you're so tired, you ever fall asleep on the Lord? Get on your knees, you're not off. You know what Satan will convince you to do? Just give up. How rude. But aren't you, aren't you glad that God knows the feeling himself of bowing in prayer and being so tired that he had to ask God to help? And God, what did God do there in the garden? What did he do? He, does this, he did the same thing that he offers to you and I. He sent angels to strengthen Jesus to allow him to continue to pray for what was before him. That has happened to me many times where I have fallen asleep and I've gotten back up and I've said, God, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to care more, but I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to pretend, but I'm not going to give up. And I'll pray a little bit more. And then sometimes I realize, you know what's better for me to do? I'm going to go to bed, but I'm getting up in the morning. I'm getting up early and I'm going to pray. And so I'll go and I'll sleep for three or four or five hours and I'll wake up early. And I'll get on my knees and I'll say, God, I'm trying to pick up where I left off yesterday. And I just don't feel it. Please help me. Please help the spirit to enable me to pray. I tell you this. If God is knocking and on the other side of the door, we're struggling to get it open. Don't you think if we struggle long enough that God through his spirit will finally help us to open the door? I know God and I know that's his character. That's what he'll do. Listen, friend, there is nothing preventing. I was wanting to say this. What we have done is we have shortcutted time with God seeking his presence for pressuring and shortcutting him to pressure lost people. Here's what I have resolved to do as your pastor. I'm going to leave these lost people alone, but I'm going to bother God about it. Will you join me in that? I'm not going to beat them to death. Lost friend, you may be able to think you can rest assured because listen, unless God through His Holy Spirit deals with my heart to come and to talk to you, I'm going to leave you alone. And I'm not going to, to, to batter you about your need. And I'm not going to force it through the pulpit. 
And I'm not going to determine that based upon your facial expression, I'm going to do all these things unless God moves me to. But what I am going to do is I'm going to seek after God with a renewed tenacity. And I'll tell you this, it would be much better for you to have me on your tail trying to badger you than it is the Spirit of God who when you lay at your bed at night like He did me so many nights sitting on 5151 North Frontage Road after revival services very often, I would hold out and people would come and visit me at the pew and they would talk to me after the sermon and I would feel the convicting power of God drawing me but then oftentimes I would go home and I would lay down in my bed and lose sleep because of the fear that I had. Because God was not done working in my heart. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't make mistakes. And I vow to you today that from this point until our revival, I'm going to badger God as much as I desire to badger you. Church, join me in that. Join me in that. You got a lost kid? Have you badgered him a little bit? Give him a break. Put the onus on you to seek after God. And then, when God stirs in you to move, then move. You see, the Spirit of God came like a righty, mighty, rushing wind there in Acts chapter 1. And you know what? The flip or the script flipped. No longer was Jesus going town to town preaching to people and trying to bring them in. No, you remember when Paul was going from city to city, he'd go to Thessalonica and they'd get angry and they'd kick him out. And he went to Berea and some listened. In that same chapter in Acts chapter 17, he went to Athens and the Bible says some believed and some didn't. Oh, but there in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came down in such abundance that the whole crowd cried out, What must we do? Peter didn't have to badger them. He didn't have to preach longer. He didn't have to try to compel them. No, the Spirit of God so convicted and cut them to the heart that the lost sinner was crying out, What can I do? I remember my oldest sister at a youth weekend out in Bolivar, Missouri. She was praying, and she was praying the Wednesday at church before we went there, and she was praying the Friday night at at the youth weekend, and she was amongst a whole bunch of strangers, and she was on the front of the, the church, much like this, having steps rising just like this, and she was calling out to God, and she was praying there, but she didn't know people, and so she confined herself, and you could tell she was kind of crying a little bit, and then next morning, Saturday morning, she came to service, and then after the preacher got done, she came forward, and she just kept on praying, and then Saturday night, there she came, and she kept on praying and then Sunday morning she got so desperate as just a 14 year old girl finally she lost all sight of what people thought and she was looking up to heaven and saying God please save me when's the last time you saw a lost person do that rather when's the last time you felt God in such power that lost people were compelled to do that she didn't get saved that day. But the effects of that lasted. Three days later, on a Wednesday, we went to a little local place called Cow Pals, a little restaurant. And out of the blue, I was saved. 
My mom was saved. And out of the blue, my older sister asked me, her younger brother, do you know how often that happens? It doesn't. What does it feel like to be saved? What do you think heaven's going to be like? That night, she had her best friend come over to spend the night. But sandwiched in between talking to us at Cow Palace and her best friend coming over, she went in her room, didn't tell a soul, locked her door, and got down and called out on God. And God saved her right there. And the cup overflowed so much, her best friend got there and was the Church of Christ denomination. And all my sister could talk about was something happened to me in here just a few minutes ago before you got here. You know what happened before that? God met with his people. Friends, that's what we need. I beg you today, if you're here and you're saved, let's worry about God and let him worry about them. I'll say this in closing. I've been long today. I'll say this in closing. That doesn't negate when God tells you to move, to move. See what he said in Acts chapter 1, something so important. He said, I'm going to send you to go, but wait first. So those 120 eerily eerily similar to about how many people we have coming here. 120, they met together. And they prayed, 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 and they kept praying, and they kept seeking after God. And finally, nobody had to say, oh, by the way, I felt the Spirit tonight. Nobody had to say that. No, the Bible says he came as a mighty rushing wind. Sister Laura told me, Brother Whitty told me about his best friend. Went out here to the pavilion, got saved out there. Right? No, many people run out of the church house. They felt God's spirit and such. I just got to get away. I got to go pray. There's so much going on in here. I got to pray. I got to focus. Well, the first revival I helped here, I heard all about that revival where this pew was just lined up with people. What was it, eight or nine? I don't know how many it was that night that got saved in one night. Lost friend today, we're praying for two things. That God would visit us and move in your heart independent of us as mightily as you have ever felt it. But then we also pray that God would allow us to be a part of that and that he would move through us. That's the beautiful thing about being a chosen child of God is that God allows us to participate in this beautiful plan of redemption by being vessels through which he manifests himself. Pray. It's an it's a important place for a child of God to get, especially those of you that are reserved, don't like to talk, to be willing to say, God, I'll do anything if you'll just use it to convict the hearts of those people that are here. Church, pray that. Pray that for yourself. 
pray that someone in our church services over these next few weeks and during our revival, that when they're on the cusp of, of moving as, at God's bidding, pray God would give them courage to do it. I think very often people are right on the cusp of working on behalf of God's spirit that he's compelling them to, and yet all of Satan's devices begin to talk them out of it. Don't do that. And pray for your brothers and sisters that they wouldn't do that either. God would move and we could feel his presence. If you're a visitor here today and you're come and you're with, you're with us, I don't care if you're a visitor. I don't care if we've ever heard you talk in the past or not. If God moves in your heart, sometimes the exact thing that people need is just a new voice to say the old things. Pray that God would be with us. And if our culture continues to fall apart and our numbers continue to dwindle and people, young, lost people continue to harden, I find great confidence that all of those things won't matter when God is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God who spared not his own son, but gave him for us all, will he not give to you all things? That's what I care about this morning is God being with us. I know that's what you care about. But let's get serious about it as we look forward to our revival. Somebody else this morning have something on your heart today. Something you feel like God moving you to say or to do this morning.